Today, Pastor Dimas Celebarios tells us stories of challenging gang members and fighting for religious freedom. I'm your host, Paul Horrocks, and this is the Biblical Courage Podcast. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. Visit biblicalcourage.com to learn more or sign up for our newsletter. So I'm here with Pastor Dimas Salaberrios. He is a faith leader, justice advocate, film producer, activist, and author. He's a really busy guy. He founded Infinity Bible Church in the Bronx River Housing Projects, and he's going to tell us how that led to him challenging gang members and also fighting for religious liberty against the city of New York. So, Dimas, welcome to the program. Oh, Paul, it's, it's exciting to be here with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to this interview. So I want to have you start by just giving everyone a short overview of your ministry today. Well, my ministry today is twofold. One, it's, it's highly focused on going into dangerous places to minister to those that are hurting from national shootings that take place to international events to ministering to victims like in uh, like what we did with the terrorist attack in Paris Almost all the church shootings that happened in the United States, the shooting that happened in Pennsylvania at the synagogue, and many, many others, including uh, going down to George Floyd to uh, bring peace and healing to that community. So that's been a big part of of my ministry. Also speaking has been a, a big part where people fly me out to speak to churches, organizational groups, filmmakers, and so forth to encourage them and and uh, motivate people to get out their comfort zones and to go and make an impact in the world. And then lastly, making movies, movies about real situations that are going on. My first film was with uh, Steph Curry and Viola Davis called Emmanuel on the church shooting that happened in South Carolina. Yeah, I remember that. My second movie was called Chicago, America's Hidden War which is about um, the gun violence in Chicago and how the church responded to it and helped the violence drop by 20%. So I want to have you just go back to the beginning a little bit and tell how you got into this ministry and just a little bit about your background and really what you did as a young man and then you had this big life change. Yeah, you know, as a young man, I grew up very blessed, very privileged in a middle-class family and went to a predominantly white school, which was extremely resourced well compared to the schools most of my friends went to in my neighborhood. I was radically blessed. But um, the drug crack came through my community and in uh, most of the communities in New York City, and I wanted part of the money side of it. And I dived in with two feet at age 11 when a young uh, a guy pulled me into the bathroom and told me that he stole the bag of drugs from his older brother. And I started to sell it with him. And uh, very quickly, you know, from age 11, selling drugs and being involved in that world, I wanted to, you know, I wanted the riches. I wanted the money. I wanted the power. And my mother told me all those things will come to you when you get out of college. And I was saying, mom, seeing this one kid, he's driving to junior high school in a Volvo. You know, I was like, no, this money's out here right now. 
And then uh, the reason I'm involved in film is because I saw the film Scarface, which is one of the most powerful films that I ever saw that was uh, written by Oliver Stone and, and done by uh, Paul De Palma. And when they, when they um, filmed that and I saw it, right away I said, I want those riches. And if I can get that by doing what this guy's doing that fast, then I want to be a part of that world. And uh, realized that was one of the worst decisions I ever made. And the only thing that saved me from not being a statistic of being killed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, three women prayed for me. Power of God came over me and I surrendered all to Jesus. And they did deliverance ministry on me, cast out demonic forces and powers from, from out of my life. I often joke with uh, Kathy and Tim Keller about it. And they said, well, Demos, if anybody could have a story, you are a prime suspect for demons to be living inside of you. So we believe your story and we endorse it. And, and uh, they stand behind, which is my current book now, Street God, which is uh, being developed into a television show. And so Street God tells this whole story of how you got into this and, and ultimately how you got out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and that's available today, and people can get that on Amazon. Yeah, you can get it anywhere books are sold or anywhere, all, all the online platforms that sell books. Yeah. All right, so you ultimately had this incredible experience with these three women, and that led to you eventually becoming a pastor. Yep. And Absolutely. so you founded a church. Tell us a little bit about where you founded that church and a little bit about that church. Well, I was going to Redeemer, meeting with... Uh, Dr. Tim Keller and his church planning staff. Back in the day, it was called the Redeemer Church Planning Center. Now it's more properly known as City to City. And I noticed everyone was planting churches to reach kind of like the yuppie crowd, you know, and the buppy crowd. And, you know, they wanted to be in these really cool areas and plant churches. And I said, well, uh, at least for me, I felt the best place for me to plant a church to have significant impact would be in the housing projects where what uh, Mayor Bloomberg at the time stated, 80% of crime comes from the residents of a housing project. So I figured if I went in and I reached them, I would uh, bless the city in a radical way. And we did. Uh, we planted a church called Infinity Church, Infinity New York Church and Homicides dropped down to zero. Drug dealing went down to an all-time low. And um, we saw lives change uh, radically. And I remember you telling me that uh, you and a group of men would get up every morning and do prayer walks around your neighborhood and that you didn't have a homicide in that neighborhood for a long time. Yes, yeah, still, still to this day, no homicide. We were meeting every Thursday and we would walk the neighborhood and we would pray, God, shut down the drugs, shut down all the evil that's in our neighborhood. God, uh, let, let guns jam where bullets won't come out of the pistols. Let guns get lost. And God answered all of our prayers. One of those prayer walks, we walked up and we saw the housing projects surrounded by 50 black cars. And it was the FBI. They arrested all the top drug dealers. And many of them I knew, and I didn't even know that they were as big as they were until they were sentenced to kingpin status. I mean, some of them were were, were really 
nice guys to talk to. I would put it like that, but they were dealing in major, major cocaine and marijuana and crack operations and heroin. And all those guys went to jail and that gave us a real great start. But to this day, now it's up to about 19 years, there's been no killing in the Bronx River housing projects. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you told a story once where there was a young man who I guess was part of your church and he had been part of a gang and really wanted to get out of that life. But of course, the gang doesn't want to let him out of that life. And you went and confronted them. So just tell us a little bit more about that interaction and and what happened there. Yeah. So I was leading a Bible study where we had about 60 young men and about eight young ladies that attended. And God was blessing this whole Bible study. We were meeting every Wednesday inside of a community center. And then one of the guys wanted to find, he, he started the Bloods gang in the area. The funny thing is right now he's a crip. He, so <laughs> he, he couldn't even get his gang straight. Okay. But, but he gathered all the guys and he said, if you show up to that Bible study, you're going to get jumped by us. You know, we're forming this gang. And we don't want anybody going to the Bible study. So our Bible study lost about 30 young men. So we were down to just 30. So I asked, I said, yo, what's going on? And they said, this is what this young man said. So then they went after one of the guys that said, well, forget y'all. I'm going to keep going to the Bible study. So they started coming after him and he had to relocate. So I found out which guy formed this gang and who threatened a guy in my Bible study. So I went over to him and I said, look, man, I said, yo, my, my, anybody coming to this Bible study, you can't touch them. They need to be here and, uh, and I, we need to bring them back. This has got to stop. And the guy was like, yo, whatever, you know, and he got mad and rode off. And then the next day he pulls up to me on his bike and he says, look, I'm a Christian too, which he wasn't. He don't even know a Christian. He says, I'm a Christian too. So you know what? It's all right then. If he wants to come back, just forget about it. You know, and he rides off on his bike. And then we told the kid, you know, it's time to come back. You know, we got this straightened out. Then he started meeting with us again and going forward. But I knew some things you have to confront right away. Our entire church, I think, would have been dead if I didn't confront that guy and any other. You know, like there was a time a phone got stolen by one of these guys that comes in and out of our church. And I had to confront him. You know, we were in an elevator. He took off his shirt like he wanted to fight. And I tell him, I said, man, I'm not scared. You want to swing? Swing. You want to do it? Do it. But you're not going to you're not going to take this phone. So he got off the elevator. He's like, you better not follow me to my house. I got off the elevator. I said, here I am, man. You know, it's me and you. There's no no, no big fanfare. We, we can, you know, whatever you want to do, do it. And I didn't plan to fight back because I've seen the power of God where, you know, one time I got slapped in the face and I turned the cheek to the other side. And when the person did, they slapped me twice. <laughs> and then that person, the power of God hit them and they broke down and, and cried. So... I, I knew God was going to be with us. And he just went in the house, came back out and said, man, here, take the stupid phone and gave me the phone and said, man, yo, you lucky. I said, whatever it is, I got the phone. 
it's over. And you always welcome back to the church whenever you're ready. And I went and gave the church the phone back to, he stole it from this uh, young man with a, a disability, which made me even more angry. Wow. And that's why, that's why I went to bat for it. Like the guy was, was uh, you know, had emotional or psychological problems. Like basically he robbed uh, someone that really couldn't defend themselves. So did you have any fear though, that as you're going to confront these gang leaders or these other folks that, hey, somebody could pull out a gun, they could shoot me, they could pull out a knife? I think timing is everything. Initially, I feel like, you know, like anybody, you feel some butterflies in your stomach, but then I wait to catch them alone. That's my area. If I get you alone, I could care less. One-on-one, forget about it. When these guys have their crew around, they're much more dangerous. But if you can catch them one-on-one, a lot of people, there's, the percentage decreases in a large way when people are one-on-one by themselves. The percentage of people that. who will go after you or attack you? Yeah. I learned that uh, even when I was in Rikers Island, I remember I had a fight with a very famous bully in Rikers. And when I saw him in the hallway by himself, I was like, let's go now. It's just me and you. He was like, man, forget it, forget it. You know, and he walked. And I, I just learned that several times I learned that, that when the whole show is there, those guys get energized by the crowd, you know, and you may not win because they really get fired up by an audience. But one on one, they become much more reasonable and willing to cave in, you know, because they got no crowd. So so I find that very helpful. That's a great lesson for Christian men, just if you have to challenge other Christian men, even not physically, just uh, in terms of things that they're doing, challenge them one-on-one. Don't go after them. Yeah, and let me be clear. Um, I wasn't challenging them physically. I was confronting them and had to play a balance game of where it was going to go because I don't try to operate in the flesh. You know, I think there's a lot, there's too many ministers today that flow by the flesh and they think they got to play tough and all this stuff. I see it all the time. It makes my stomach turn because I know a lot of them are not even tough. Why they, they, they think they got to be gangsters in the pulpit or something. It's, it's sad. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a balance between the two. So I want to move to a discussion about religious freedom. So this church, Infinity Church, uh, you met really in a community center in this project in the Bronx. And at some point, the city of New York decided to discriminate against churches in terms of allowing them to rent public buildings. So can you just give everyone a background on what the city did and how that was going to impact your church? Yeah, so here we are. We're in the Bronx River Housing Projects. Families are feeling safe again to come back outside and be on their porches and have barbecues and gatherings. When we first came, nobody would come outside because of the violence. So the families told us, they said, it's because of your impact of this church, the community is safer. So then in the middle of all this, Christmas is coming around. It's December 1st and we get called into a meeting and they say, you're not going to be able to hold meetings here anymore. Mayor Bloomberg uh, is passing some kind of bill so that you can't be here. You have to be out by December 23rd. And and just so we're clear, any other group that was not a church 
could meet in that yeah. facility or uh, schools or anywhere else. Yeah, it was 100% targeted on the church. And Bloomberg, I met with Bloomberg at Gracie Mansion with Tim Keller and with John Tyson and many other ministers. And he was a friend to the church. It was when he created this third term just for himself and then terminated the third term after himself that he attacked the church. So I said, that's going to be my Christmas present. My Christmas present after making homicide stop and the place safer. And he knew this. My Christmas present is be out. So me and uh, three others, myself, Councilman Fernando Cabrera, uh, Pastor Bill Devlin, and three young people. I think it was seven of us all together. And this guy named Michael Carrion. We went down there and we knelt down in front of 100 church people. That's where the New York City Law Department was meeting. And we started praying and they came and arrested us. So, so why did you go to the law building? Oh, because I had an insider in the mayor's department who told us and said, it's not necessarily fully the mayor, it's the New York City Law Department that meets at 100 Church. I said, oh, what a great place, Church Street. I said, well, the battle's on. I'm going to meet them at Church Street. That's great. And I brought about 20-something people from the projects came out that wanted their church to continue on. And they were out there just screaming, leave our church alone. And the law department people walking there like going to the building like, oh, my gosh, how'd they find us? That's what we heard uh, from our friend. Like they were shocked. Like, how did they find us? And then we knelt down to pray and the cops arrested us. And when we turned around, man, there was at least seven news outlets there catching pictures of us. It was a miracle. I mean, I have no idea. I know, I think one of the guys did a press release letting them know that we were going to be there, but they were incognito until the handcuffs came. And then we all went to jail, got out a few hours later, and then we heard Mayor Bloomberg was going to do his inaugural address in the Bronx, in my turf. I said, God has a sense of humor. So then I organized about 40 pastors to march to the door of his building, of his inauguration speech, kneel down in front and get arrested. So wow. it was like the movie Gandhi. We were going in waves and cops were crying. They were like, yo, I know these pastors. This is wrong. I'm arresting a pastor for praying. And they were handcuffed. They filled the entire bus. And uh, after that, then I organized a march over the Brooklyn Bridge and when I was driving there, we just put it on the radio about four times. When I was driving there, I was afraid I was going to be late because I was caught up in traffic. And I was going through so much traffic to get over the bridge. When I got to the side of the bridge, I found out the traffic was all of our people coming to join the march. And 17,000 of us, including Mayor de Blasio, who at the time was the public advocate, March with us arm in arm to defend the church. So everybody hates the Blasio, but I want to tell you, he stood with the church when it wasn't popular to do so. And I appreciate him for that. So what was the outcome of that? Did the uh, city reverse course? Yeah, uh, we won some kind of circuit court. And uh, we, we won so far in every, every place. And then uh, 
churches were allowed to continue in schools. I was always allowed to continue. Um, once I went to Church Street, I was given notice that I was allowed to continue. But I said, I'm not giving up the fight. And they were like, why? You, you should be happy. I said, I'm not going to be happy because there's going to be 17,000 Christians that are going to be kicked out of the public schools that they rent. And it was so contradictory because the city used to rent spaces from churches to hold schools. It was crazy. So you effectively went to jail for your faith, along with these other folks who joined you and other pastors. And what would you say to people who are afraid to go to jail for their faith? I would say, you know, when you start reading books like Ephesians, Philippians, and, and many of those books, you know, you're in good company with the apostles. They all went to jail. I think every pastor should go to jail at least once for Jesus. It should be like a rites of passage. You're not a true pastor unless you get locked up once. You know, Paul got locked up. John got locked up. Peter got locked up. Timothy got locked up. I mean, everybody got locked up. Now we do a sweet ministry. We all need to pay our dues. You know, I'm joking, but I'm a little serious. You know, like, I think there's something to be said for standing up for Jesus and not always fearing the consequences. You know, I think the gospel message is so soft today because everybody wants to impress the city. They want to impress people of the world. I, I'm not out to turn the world off, but I'm, I don't live to impress the world. I live to impress Jesus, you know, and to live a life that he looks down from heaven and says, that's my man. He's doing it right. You know. So right now we're in this time when religious liberty is really under attack. How do you think Christians ought to respond to this? I think Christians Christians should stand up and push back. I think um, Christians should be louder. They should be very public about who they are and what they do. I I think the greatest problem of the church is uh, camping in their little small groups and never wanting to do anything public anymore. Like there's there's so many Christians that they curse proclamation of gatherings. You know, they all have a language now. They made up a, a code called, uh, yeah, I don't want to do a one-off. You know, everybody, yeah, I just don't want it to be an event, a one-off. I don't want it to be an event, a one You know, it's a complete attack against the evangelists, you know, that, but, but look throughout scripture. Paul went to areas, did a one-off, led people to Jesus. Churches got started. He went somewhere else. He went somewhere else. And then later on, he checked back on it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but everybody's so smart because they read in books of a lot of writers that don't do any public ministry. But they got all the words to tell us about why we shouldn't evangelize in a way like uh, proclaiming him publicly. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. People will say, well, I want to be strategic about it. And I think, OK, well, tell me your strategy. And I met with silence. You know, they, they want to use that as an excuse. What about a lot of times Christians today are saying, look, I don't want to get political. How would you respond to someone who is using that as a reason for not getting involved in some of these uh, battles? I think there's some wisdom to that in the sense of I'm more down the middle. You know, I'm not pushing for Trump. I'm not pushing for Biden. I'm not pushing for these candidates. You know, I'm not I'm not caught up in 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 all that because 
just get let down. I mean, I learned a long time ago. The Republicans are going to let me down and the Democrats are going to let me down, period. And some have a little thing better than this and the other one is more on that. And, you know, I just I'm a minister of the gospel. What I will stand up against are things that are against scripture and against Christ. And how you stand up against that is important. You can stand up against it from your conscience or you can stand up against it from your party. And I stand up against things from my conscience, not not a party. But a lot of times people will say, I don't want to get political. But what they really mean is I don't want to deal with anything that's controversial. And so there are controversial things like these fights for religious liberty that you can't get around the fact that it involves the government. And so just one of the things I observe is that Christians use this, I don't want to get political, as an excuse not to touch anything that's controversial that may lead to people not liking them. That is absolutely the truth. That is absolutely true. Now, from that perspective, yeah, you should do something, even if it's praying, even if it's just, you know, praying or supporting those that are on the front line, do something. So you mentioned earlier about this movie about Chicago. So I want to just shift gears for a second and have uh, you tell us a little bit more about that movie and what you're trying to do with that and, and why Chicago. So the reason Chicago, uh, Chicago is the only place in America that has more killings than our fallen soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq put together over the same time period of the war. So 2010 to now, you can look at the killings in those wars and you can look at from the time frame of the killings in Chicago and Chicago has more killings than these wars. 77,000 people have been shot in the last 10 years in, in Chicago. So, you know, when you have numbers like that, you have to ask yourself, who's fighting this? Who's helping to shut this down? It's scary, but you get hit with a lot of silence. A lot of silence. And so you went in with this movie and, and yeah, tell us what you did and what the movie shows and uh, where people- Yeah, I went can... down and uh, called The Hunger Strike I wasn't going to eat for 40 something days and I was going to mobilize the churches to fight against the homicides. And that's exactly what we did. And God prevailed. I mean, the homicides dropped by, by 20% from the efforts and the strategies of going out there and being present and involved. And if people want to see this movie, where can they see it? Well, right now uh, it was in theaters on May 12th. And now we are negotiating with different streaming locations. So hopefully it'll be on streaming sites sites by uh, November. And, and what's the URL for the movie? Uh, Chicago, America's Hidden War. But they can go to chicagoshiddenwar.com for more information. All right, chicagoshiddenwar.com, and I'll put that in the show notes. Thanks. And the last thing I want to ask you is if somebody wants to learn more or about your ministry or support your ministry, where can they go today? Well, if you want to learn more about uh, our ministry, you can look up The Dynamic Life with Pastor Demos. Uh, that's one way you, you, you can get involved. And, and what's the URL for that? Um, it's uh, thedynamiclife.com. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can find it there, or you can find it at dynamiclifeministries.com. So there's uh, two places they can find it. But if you type in my name in The Dynamic Life, something usually comes up where you can find me. But um, hopefully something good. 
Yeah. But uh, also Chicago's Hidden War is uh, very active right now because that's where we're carrying our film stuff and more of the current things that we're engaged in. So I'd encourage people to go there. All right. And I'll put all that into the show notes. Thank you. So Dimas, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your ministry. Thanks for your courage. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, Thank you, man. It's an honor to be here. And uh, I hope it'll put fire in some people to go out there and proclaim Christ boldly. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. You can support us by going to biblicalcourage.com. While you're there, you can also sign up to receive our newsletter. That's biblicalcourage.com. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't like the podcast, you must be hard of hearing.